Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster f- Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus the Furnicus Charette. Say what? Dr. G, what is up, sir? Whew. Another Wednesday coming at you, Mike. Oh, yeah. Coming at you. How you doing? One out of ten. I feel pretty good. I'm uh I'm you know right there 8.5 yes. 8.5 that's my that's my that's right my in the mic sweet spot yeah. I love yeah, yeah, it yeah. I love it <laughs> yes well that's good Mike I'm excited I am excited it's uh you know it's almost my birthday um, oh yeah 420 I'm gonna party hard yeah! as all Get the listeners lit. know I am just I'm a I'm a partier through and through um, he's gonna have a diet coke. <laughs> Gonna have maybe, a pizza. maybe some Mio. <laughs> Woohoo! Whoa, Mike. As I told you, you know, I haven't had pizza in like five months. So Oh wow, never mind. You know, maybe maybe I could. Maybe I could splurge. Who knows? Maybe that Might could happen. Uh, get crazy. I don't know. Anything wide open, <laughs> listeners. Wide open so true. is the description of my birthday. You know, I might uh the week afterwards be like, I wound up in Montana fly fishing. And you'll mm. be like, What? And I'll be like, I know. Just on a whim, that's what I decided for my birthday. I don't know. Live show from Montana. Woo! <laughs> ah, we'll get at least a couple of people. <laughs> or Buffalo. One of the two. Yeah. But one of them. Mike, I digress from my birthday. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it in a couple of days. <laughs> okay. I was cruising through the headlines, and this one caught my eye. Um, mainly because... I thought it would be interesting to discuss on the show and make fun of. So, I decided to bring it up. And this is the, it's from NBC. And this is our, sorry, not NBC, CNBC. CNBC. Oh, come on. Uh, this is the headline. Quote, parents who raise mentally strong kids never use these seven phrases when their children are young says psychotherapist, end quote. Hmm. So okay. I was like, I, <laughs> I was like, I don't consider myself mentally strong. Nope. I would like to know what kind of phrases my parents use to ruin my mental toughness. <laughs> you know? So, Mike, I looked into it, and uh, the psychotherapist that is doling this information out is Amy uh, Morin. You know Amy Morin? Never heard of her. Yeah, I took a stroll down her life. She's pretty interesting, actually. Okay. Uh, not surprisingly, she has a podcast. You know, everybody has one of those. Uh, mm -hmm. Very Well Mind Podcast. That's the name of it. Very Well Mind Podcast. Uh, I took a look at the podcast. She's got a rating of 4.9. There you and go. And I noticed she's got at least one one star. I thought about messaging her and asking her how she dealt with that. You know, <laughs> psychologically, how'd she feel, you know? Um, what words did she tell herself to yeah, get her through this? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, I, I'm dealing with the same thing right now. It's destroyed my life. 
Um, <laughs> she got her degree from Northeastern, Mike. Pretty solid institution there. Yeah. That's a nice institution. Definitely. And apparently, she lives on a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Wow. Yeah. Like, she literally does her podcast from her effing sailboat. It's pretty wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, great. One time, an octopus got in the air conditioning unit of her boat. Jeez. That happened. Ooh. Yeah. I'm guessing it was a little cute octopus is my guess, you know? <laughs> not, not like a 30-foot? Yeah, not like a monstrous, all of a sudden, tentacles <laughs> just start coming out. And she's like, no! Uh, that, the air conditioning unit. That would be. How did I not think of this? Way <laughs> worse. Way worse in that case. But regardless, Mike, uh, I wanted to know after going down uh, Amy's life, I was like, okay, she seems legit enough. Mm -hmm. What does she have to say about kids, you know? Yes. So, back to the article of parents who raise mentally strong kids. Uh, never use these seven phrases. Um, I did think, though, I'm going to need a little bit more of a definition on what mentally strong means, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little vague. Like, are we just saying resilient? Self-sufficient? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Or are we like testing these kids like Navy SEAL style and we're just going to try to break them and they're going to be sleeping and we're going to waterboard them and they're going to be like, oh, they're crying now. What pieces of <laughs> These guys aren't <laughs> mentally strong at all. Like, you know, I need to level yeah. different yeah, levels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But Mike, also before we move on to the actual phrases, one other thing I will point out. Amy has no kids. Hmm. Amy has no kids, of course. Zero this kids. Is, this you, is, you know, yeah. Not oh, that, yeah. She, not that she has to have them. You, you can know kids without having them. I'm just saying, to put these phrases or these ideas into practice, it's a little bit different when you've got a turd bag running around your house, or in her mm -hmm. case, your boat, 24 hours a day. Like, yeah, a bit different. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah for sure. You lose your you lose your cool. Yeah. One of just, those phrases. I'm, I, I'm just saying, yeah, like, I'm like, if Amy had 54 kids, I'd be like, all right, you know, and all 54. Good sample size. Well, yeah, and all 54 weren't <laughs> You'd be like, oh, she did a pretty good job. That's She's pretty, onto something. That's pretty amazing. But, like, zero kids? Come on. Anyways, yeah. anyways, we're going we're gonna to look over them. Number one, Mike, calm down. Nope. Don't say calm down, Mike. Don't say calm. Don't down. say calm down, uh, because basically she she's saying you're telling the uh, kid how to feel, and no, that's mm. a no no. You don't tell him how to feel. <laughs> I do like what she okay. recommends to say instead. She recommends saying something like, "Looks like you're really angry right now." <laughs> <laughs> what? Which I mean, I get the I I get the idea of like you yeah. don't want to tell them how to feel, right? But at the same time, Mike, after you've explained emotions to them, after you've explained what they're feeling and how they feel, with I see you're looking really angry, I think there is a justification at some point to say, "Calm the f down," <laughs> like you know, like there there's a point. Because at some point, a uh, kid also has to learn the world does not revolve around you. 
And guess what? Sometimes people in the outside world are going to tell you how to feel. And guess what? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to deal with that. You can feel yeah. another way, but you're going to have to deal with it. Like, mm -hmm. just saying. There, there are lessons in all words, Mike. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Number two. Don't worry about it. Hmm. Don't worry about it. Mike, I hmm. use this one all the time with all kinds of people. Uh, and I'm definitely going to say it's just out of laziness. If I had a kid, I'd say that all the time. 100%. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, totally... my my lollipop fell. And I'd be like, don't worry about it. It's pop. Who cares? Come on. Yeah. Like, pick it up. Put yeah. it back in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> it's five-second rule. You haven't learned about that yet? God, what am I teaching you? Jeez. But like, Calm down. Yeah, yeah, get there. <laughs> like, yeah, but like, you know, like, I, this happens all the time with my friends. You know, they're talking about something that's like really important to them, highly sensitive, yeah. highly involved, and you have no effing idea how to respond. Like, they go in this mm -hmm. whole diatribe about their life, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. I don't know. Like I don't you seem know. concerned. Yeah, like it's just it's a lot to deal with. And then kids have a the memory of a goldfish, so don't worry about it. Come on, like yeah. yeah. Number three sort of goes along with that, Mike. You'll do fine. Hmm. You'll do fine. You're not supposed to say you'll do fine because she argues that that is insinuating that you can predict how they're going to succeed at something. Ah, you're giving them like a participation trophy ahead of time. Yeah, and, and I Maybe got... Maybe not. <laughs> I, I got to be honest, Mike. This one, she said, it'll hurt your confidence and damage your credibility if they don't mm. succeed. Oh, true. And I was like, I got to be honest, though. Like, even the dumbest kid is smarter than that, right? I mean, when I was like six and my parents said, you'll do fine... I understood they didn't, they weren't Nostradamus. They weren't like, <laughs> you'll do fine. I foresaw the future. Like, no, I knew they were just being nice. And they were like, you'll do fine. We got your back. That's what that means. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like who, what kid is like, you lied to me, guys. You said <laughs> I was going to do good. Come on. Like, geez, no, no. Anyways, Mike, number four. Don't ever let me catch you doing that again. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Now, this one's a pretty good point. She says, you know, um, not, not to use this because they are going to do it again. And since they are going to do it again, all this means they're going to do is try to cover it up the next time. Which. Ooh, yeah. Good so, point. It's 100% right. But then her suggestion. Eh. Her suggestion is, you're going to do this again, and you're going to be tempted to hide it and cover it up. Here's what we could do instead. That's her suggestion of how you should approach mm. it. And I'm going to be honest. It sounds like she's trying to do some Jedi mind trick at the beginning of that. You're going to do this again. What? I am. Mm. I, don't, I don't know <laughs> if I am going to do this again. What is that? That's weird. Uh, number five, Mike, we're running low on time here. Number five, <laughs> you're the best. You're, you're the, best. the best. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't give that alternative. You're the worst. <laughs> you're the absolute worst. Uh, that's a fact. Uh, but I'm going to be honest. I get this one. Like, that's obviously true. Like, you know, 
Like, but uh, you know, I, I don't know what the best alternative is. Like, hey, you're slightly better than average. Mm-hmm. Right there, average is here. You're right here. Nicely done. Like, I don't, I don't know. Wow. Which sort of goes with uh, number six, Mike. That's perfect. Hmm. That's perfect. You're not supposed to say that's wow. perfect. Because I say all of these things to my girlfriend every single day, Jock <laughs> G. What is her <laughs> advice with this? <laughs> she hates you, Mike. That's what's going on. This is no. not going to be good in the future. No. Sorry. Number seven, the last one, you're making me mad. <laughs> you're making me mad because then yeah. they can see that they can manipulate emotions, Mike. Ooh, they yeah. can manipulate emotions. Now, Mike, now that we've gone over all seven, uh, how many times did your parents say any of those things? All of those things were said to me on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say six out of seven for me, Mike. I don't think yeah. I don't think my parents ever said the uh, "you're making me mad." I think they're pretty good at detaching that one. They never said that. Like really? I could, well, yeah, I could, nice. I could tell sometimes I'm off greatly, but like, yeah, they never said you're making me mad. Like, mm-mm. they, they yeah. wouldn't, they wouldn't give me that satisfaction. No effing mm. way. You're not getting that from them. <laughs> but that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I'll say this. I'll say this. Um, that's not to say they were bad parents, Mike. Six out of seven. Mm-hmm. I'll say they were normal and I'll say, so were your parents. Um, yeah. am, am I, am, am I a mentally weak person? Yes. Yes, I am. Same. <laughs> but it's not because of these phrases. That's definitely, definitely not the reason. Not that I'm, I'm detracting from Amy. Her and her boat are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, Mike, if you want a mentally strong person, I have a better suggestion. Word. Are you ready for it? Yes. Listen to the Doc G show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can withstand hearing me ramble on for this entire show, you can withstand anything mentally. You yeah, pretty much are a strong individual. So right now, yes, you are. I lay down the mental gauntlet to our listeners. Are you tough enough? Mike, are you ready to fire this show up? <laughs> Let's fire up this mentally resilient show, Doc G. <laughs> All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and lift off. Woo! Oh, man, they're going to be ready for it today, Mike. They are going to be ready for it. Uh, <laughs> they're going to have a little reprieve from that mental toughness when we have yeah. our guest, Jared James Nichols. Man, this guy. This guy is fantastic. This guy is known around the world for his guitar. He is a brand ambassador for Gibson Guitars. Ooh. Brand There's only a handful of brand ambassadors, Mike. Like, I mean, literally, there's only like 10 of them or something like that. It's crazy. He's besties with Zach Wilde, bunch of other big-name guitarists. He's touring, and he's going to be in Jacksonville next week. That's right. Can't wait to talk to him. But first, we need to start where we start. The birthday suits. Happy birthday, Mr. President. You got this one, Mike, and you're on a hot streak. So you'll do I fine. I don't know if <laughs> listeners, <laughs> you're the best, Mike. You are the best, and you are perfect at this. Um, now you're on a hot streak, though. Last week was three out of three. You're at twenty-five yeah. out of forty-two. You're you're headed back to that sixty percent, and I'm proud of you. 
You know Thank what? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you're perfect. Uh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. Girl, come on. Born on April 19th, 1979. Born in Los Angeles, California. Her dad was an actor and comedian. Her mom is Goldie Hawn. Her parents Ooh. divorced when she was 18 months old, and she considers Kurt Russell her dad. She first uh, she first started acting when she was 11 at the Santa Monica Playhouse, but her big breakthrough role was in the fantastic movie, one of my favorites, Almost Famous, where she played Penny Lane, the head of the Band-Aids. In 2003, mm. she played in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days with... Mac Attack, another fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. Um, she uh, then played several romantic comedies. Uh, Alex and Emma, You, Me, and Dupree. I'm a fan of You, Me, and Dupree. Uh, by the way, me and my friend Brandon would always consider myself being Dupree and him and whoever his girlfriend were at the time being the other two, and I was the weird oddball that lived with them because that did happen <laughs> for several years. That's Anywho, um, Fool's Gold and Bride Wars. She mm. continued having extremely busy acting career despite having three children. Her most recent movie was The Glass Onion, where she starred mm. as Birdie J., Along with her acting, she also owns a successful athletic and activewear company called Fabletics. In 2018, she said that I work more on Fabletics now than I do movies. Name that birthday suit wearer. Um, is it Kate Hudson? Kate Hudson yes. is correct. Fantastic, man. Just, just fantastic. See, yeah. Her personality makes me happy, Mike. She's just so... Yeah, she's... So bubbly. She's so excited. She's just, it's its organic. Like in, in yeah. her videos, I'm just like, oh, yeah. I just want to hang out and have a good time. Like she seems yeah. to be one of those people that can always put a good spin on something, you know? Yeah. Like you get a flat tire and the flat tire incident will turn out not being with her, you know? And you're like, remember that time we got a flat tire and we had an awesome time on the side of the road? <laughs> like... That seems to yeah. be her. Just, you know. But Yeah, uh, her default mode is is very bubbly and nice. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. maybe maybe it's all an act. Maybe you get behind a curtain, she's like, I hate everyone. Yeah. This sucks. I don't it know. It could be a thing. Yeah. But Mike, I decided to add something. By the way, you're now twenty six for forty three. Congratulations. Nice. Um thank you. I've decided to add one thing to the birthday suit, and that would be the top Google question associated with the person that is their birthday at oh. uh, the current time. So, Interesting. top Google question for Kate Hudson, what do we think it is? It is, are Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson friends? Hmm. That's, that was the top Google ask associated with Kate Hudson. And yeah. I will say yes. Yes, yeah, they, they are, they listeners. They definitely are. Yeah. They are. They they did they did a actually uh, just like um, tw um, uh, a couple of months ago, they did a um, a collaboration post on Instagram. They did an Instagram live to commemorate the twentieth anniversary of How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Jeez. Hmm. Yeah, they 20. talked about it. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Twenty years, right? Ah. And you look at both of those guys though, and they still look effing fantastic both of them they look like the yeah they look the same as they did in the pretty movie, much actually. you know yeah. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie maybe a wrinkle or two but they still Maybe. Look, 
they yeah. still look effing amazing. Amazing, like, yeah, you know, do. like you you put normal people in that role of twenty years. It's gonna look like they went through eighteen presidencies. You're gonna be like, oh, so true. My God, that's the same person. And with them, yeah. you're like, yeah, my God, I'd like to get in the sack with either one of them, maybe both at the same time. Who knows? Yeah, you know. that'd be hot. Very. Anyways, <laughs> took a weird turn. Anywho, happy birthday to Kate Hudson. She's turning 44. 44 for Kate Hudson. There you go. There you go. Mike, are you ready to rip some headlines? What do we got, Doc G? What's going on? First off, a horrifying headline, Mike. This is from BuzzFeed News. Quote, a man died after being eaten alive by bed bugs in a jail oh cell and his family is calling for an investigation. Jeez. It's a headline. Wow. Eaten by bed bugs in a jail cell. Ugh. Mike, that's what we call evidence for the statement, it could be worse. Yeah, for sure. Holy for sure. crap. That is not a good way to go, Mike. That oh, man. is the yeah. worst. All apologies. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jennifer Gardner <laughs> says she is cutting back on alcohol. The older oh, I get, good. the more I want to protect my brain, she says. Mm. And I agree with Jen on this one, Mike. So true. Don't get me wrong. I agree. I do find it a little funny how she said it, though. You know, he said, I want to cut back on alcohol. The older I get, the more I want to protect my brain. Like, like the young Jennifer Gardner was like, my brain. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess a little bit. We all do that intuitively when you're younger, but still anyways, anyways, Mike, very important news. Viral TikTok. We've got a viral TikTok here. Yeah. What do we got? This is from Anushka Shada. Anushka, Anushka Shada. Um, and I will say, if you go to her TikTok account, Mike, her accent is pretty much offensively British. Okay. It is very British. She she could easily have a small role on Ted Lasso. That's a fact. It's, which, by the way, it is very infectious of ending and beginning sentences with oi. Oi, oi, yeah. yeah, oi, yeah. Like that's just you want to say it all the time. But I'm not British, so I don't. Nope. I did right there, but I don't want. Yes. To. Anywho, Mike, we wish we could more often. Right. But we yeah. It's exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah, it it just doesn't fit. No way. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. But it's it's. Just, I love the ending of yeah too. Like of a question. Like you just throw it in there. It's like it's like the it's like the sound of a question mark. At the mm -hmm. end of each sentence. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Like, it just, I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Anyways, in the TikTok, Mike, uh, it's about a food idea. And in the article about this TikTok, they call it a food hack. A food hack. Food she hack. goes to McDonald's and makes her own loaded fries. That's what this TikTok is about. Word. So she goes in on the TikTok and she says, you're gonna go to McDonald's, you're gonna order a cup of pickles, 
Huh? You're going to order two slices of cheese. Huh? These are both separate things. Uh, you're going to order fries. You're going to order chicken nuggets. And then you're going to ask for a selection of sauces. Girl, come on. And then you're going to throw it all together at home and make loaded fries. Hmm. And people have went bananas for it, Mike. You know, well over a million views, and there's all kinds of comments really? on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt that she's an attractive person. So obviously, you know, there is that. But uh, Mike, my issue isn't with the fat treat. It looks delicious. Well, of course it does. It's McDonald's and cheese and everything else. But I have two. Yeah. I, I have two points of contention with this TikTok. Hmm. Number one, I'm gonna put my foot down and say you can't call it a food hack just when you put some fat together. That's not. Mm -hmm. It's not a food hack. Like yeah, no. Just just because I roll like cocoa puffs and ice cream in a crepe, I'm not like food hack. Huh? That's amazing. No, it's just you, like. If that were the case, every stoner would have 100 food hacks. And they'd be like, here's the food hack that I found out that's really good. Amazingly, this gets way better when you're stoned at 2 in the morning. It's, <laughs> it's nuts. Anyways, number two, Mike. Everyone at McDonald's will rightfully hate you when you come through and ask for two slices of cheese and pickles and sauce yeah. by themselves. So true. Like a cup of pickles. I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't have a cup for this. No. Go to the grocery store like a normal person, get these items, and then go to McDonald's and get your fries and put it together at home. Like, come on. That's a fact. You know? That's ridiculous, yeah. Mike. It's, it's ridiculous. not a hack. It's definitely no. not a hack. You're not making anything easier. You're making no. it very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like if you go to the grocery store and get all these things, then you don't have to ask for them every single time you make the fries. All you got to do is get the fries, and then you come home and put everything else on it. If anything, it's the opposite of hack, yeah. you know? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> ridiculous, these these TikToks, Mike. Mike, uh. this is an interesting one. Um, so Jordan Kerr. Jordan Kerr is a mom of two in West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia, and she recently had an incident with her husband of nine years. Been married with her husband for nine years. As the article says, she needed something off of his phone, and when she went on his phone, she found pornography. Say what? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she says this nearly broke up their marriage. Hmm. She said, quote, I couldn't stop shaking, and I felt like my soul had left my body. Huh? Oh, my gosh. I didn't know how to go on. I didn't know how it was possible for any human to, for, sorry, not funny for her, but it is for me, survive <laughs> being in this much pain. It made me physically ill for months. Wow. Wow. Oh, man. Wow. The husband, she doesn't sound uh, very mentally resilient. No, no. Her parents must have said that she's perfect, a bunch. Um, the husband promised to stop watching pornography, but the damage was done, Mike. Jordan said, I've lost all faith in our marriage. 
as it's something I had never experienced before. At first, I had very little hope that we'd make it, but we spent many hours discussing our past, present, and future. He suffered a lot of guilt coming out of the porn addiction fog he had been living in for over a decade. Now, for five months, after copious sessions with therapists, support groups, and Sexaholics Anonymous, <laughs> the group are now in a much better place. Wow. Wow. Jeez. First off, I got to say, good Lord, this dude, man, the dude she is married to must be one masochist because after one night of seeing what I was dealing with when she couldn't stop shaking and whatnot, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to... Go out to McDonald's for some loaded fries. <laughs> it it may take forever. So don't expect <laughs> me back anytime soon. Like, I would be out of there so fast, Mike. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Deal with that? Like, after the first sexaholics meeting, I'd be like, you know what? This isn't for me. I'll... See you guys late. Like, come on, Mike. Let's be honest. How many married dudes are out there with porn right now on their phone? 99.99%? Like yeah. <laughs> like, get out of here with that nonsense, Mike. And I mean, I know sex and food have been related all the time, Mike. But let's do it one more time. Even if I've got the best filet mignon, that filet mignon can start to look pretty not tasty after nine years in a row. All right? Yeah. yeah. All right? At least let the dude look at some videos of chicken parmesan before he has a steak again, you know? Yeah, for sure. Just for sure. let him see something else and say, oh, that's nice. A wow. little reprieve from my the rest of my life. Anyways, just a positive spin <laughs> on marriage, Mike. Um, Mike, Parade Magazine coming in with the hard-hitting journalism. Uh-oh. What's Here going on? Here's the headline, Mike. Quote, how many feet are in a mile? Here's a simple trick to remember the exact number. Finally. <laughs> right? Right? Now, Mike, I didn't actually read this because I already have a trick. I already have a trick for this. I really do. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say a lot of people uh, have the same trick if they have the same love of movies I do. If you love the movie Remember the Titans, I'm sure you remember that number. Word. Because in that... Mem did you watch Remember the Titans, Mike? No, I did not. Sorry. Oh, no. Well, they, you're not going to know what I'm talking about then. Yeah. But in the movie, Denzel Washington says, Petey, Petey, how many feet are in a mile? 5,280. You pick that ball up and you run every one of them. You're killing mm. me, Petey. You're killing me. It's in the movie. Nice. And that's how I remember it. That's a good that's Denzel the, speech. Yeah, I think, right. I would remember it if I saw that, yeah. Right? Playing Coach Boone. Coach hmm. Boone. Yeah. Great movie. Mike, you need to go back. Watch it. It's, yeah. uh, it's around that same time as, uh, as How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, something like mm. that. I think I think it might yeah. be a little bit earlier. I think it might be 2002, 2001. Okay. Hayden, Hayden Patnier is on, in it. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Makes you really feel like a pedophile, too, because she's like 12 in there. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, it's mixing <laughs> images. Oh, God, no. Get out of here. Huh? She plays the coach's son. Or daughter, not son. <laughs> Anywho, Mike, we are going to take a break. We are going to be right back. But we are going to hear from our guest, Mr. Jared James Nichols on the Doc G Show.
are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Mike, what do the listeners need to do? Well, Doc G, if the listeners feel like the show is a positive way to waste their time, please subscribe wherever they listen to podcasts, SoundCloud, Apple, um, and it's a cost-effective way to support the show. That's right. And listeners, if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a five-star review. We love those and a comment. We love comments. Five-star reviews are appreciated. One-star reviews ruin my life. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Just keep that in mind, listeners. Keep that in mind. Now, if you are the devil and you're uh, happy to ruin my life, then I guess you're fine with those one stars. Uh, But Mm -hmm. if you're a caring, uh, empathetic person, you'll give us a five star, okay? Yes. Okay? We work our ass off on this show, listeners. We do. We work hard, just like you guys listen hard. Huh? And we are Mm -hmm. going to thank the five star listeners, Mike. The five Mm -hmm. star listeners. Here we go. Shout out. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Frankfurt, Germany, Anoka, Minnesota, Ashburn, Virginia, Piracai, Brazil, San Diego, California, Dublin, Ireland, Boardman, Oregon, Genoa, Italy, Richardson, Texas, Barcelona, Spain, Winfield, West Virginia, Biloxi, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Peoria, Illinois, Katy, Texas, Tom's River, New Jersey, Olive Branch, Mississippi, Asheville, North Carolina, Los Angeles, California, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Athens, Georgia, and Baton Rouge. Shout out. Louisiana. Louisiana. Woo. Woo. Regulars, Mike. Regulars. Yes. Good, good listeners right there. The five Mm -hmm. star. The best of the best of the listening crew. Now, on to our four star listeners. Here's a new one. Shout out to Peachtree Corners, Georgia. Shout out. Yeah. It's a little suburb of uh, Atlanta there, Mike. I checked it out. Peachtree Corners. Henderson, Nevada. Hey. They're keeping it strong, Henderson. Keeping it strong. Thank you, Henderson. Elmsdale, Canada. Not really sure. I didn't I didn't Google where Elmsdale is, but shout out to you guys. Boca Raton, Florida. I know where Boca is. Mike has had oh, yeah. some rough times there. We know. Yeah. Tough, yes. tough times. What was Black the box. place? Black Box. There we go. Black yeah, Box. Yeah, Black Box Theater. Rough. Bombathon. Rough. <laughs> Strauss Strasbourg, France. Shout out to Strasburg. Uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Shout out to them. Cedar, Minnesota. San Jose, California. Cape Town, Africa. Uh, Mm. Whiteville. Huh? Mm, That's interesting. Whiteville, North (laughs) Carolina. Uh, Leeds, United Kingdom. Brooklyn, Georgia. Waterford, Virginia. Washington, D.C. And lastly, Snellsville, Georgia. Shout there out. There we go, Mike. Shout out to the four-star and the five-star listeners. We appreciate your we listens. Mike, I have two. Uh, one is a, an important uh, important thing here. Leftover headline from our favorite group of headlines, food and beverage. Oh, yeah. This is important news for you, Mike. Coffee. Coffee news. Uh Uh-oh. You may be grinding your coffee beans wrong. 
Really? Yeah. I doubt that, but I'm listening. Okay. Okay. Uh, Maciej Kasperwicz, the director of coffee at Trade Coffee, says the goal of grinding is to find the sweet spot of ground size, of particle size. It's got to be even. Your 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 coffee grounds have to be even in size. And blade grinders, do you have a blade grinder, Mike? Hmm. I think so, yeah. Not the way to do it. Girl, come on. You're not getting you're not getting even particle size right there, Mike. With a blade really? grinder, you're getting uneven. Some are much smaller than others. So you've got uneven mm. particle side. What you need to do is you need to get a burr grinder. A burr grinder. A burr grinder. B-U-R-R. Burr grinder. That's where the coffee gets fed through two conical-shaped or uh, disc-shaped devices. There are burrs. And the distance between those burrs determines the particle size. So true. This way, you get a more even particle size, Mike, Mm. and you get much smoother, richer coffee. I love this. Yeah. Okay. That's a fact. That's it. There's no joke. There's nothing with that, Mike. I just saw that in headlines, and I was like, that is a Mike headline that I need I to let I appreciate that, yeah, because I, I really care about my ground. Like, I know you I, do. Like, ground my, I, I ground a lot. I know you I do. ground it a lot. I, about, yeah. Amen. I know you yeah. love your coffee, Mike, and I was like, Mike needs to know this. I don't know if yeah. he knows this, but Thank he you. needs to know this. Burger so There we go. There we go. There we go. Mike. This is uh, also extremely important. Deals with one of the uh, uh, great friends of the show. Uh, we had Tom Brady. Nope, another oh. friend. Uh, oh. A friend that gets vilified a lot in the news, Mike. Um, we had Coachella over the weekend. You know that? Mm. The young, yes. the youngsters. They were all out at Coachella. Yeah. It doesn't seem. Mm-hmm. I, I would be anxious there. It might just be my introvert self there, as far as half of my personality but being out there in that crowd of people with the ferris wheel and all that other i'd be like yeah i don't want to be here nope anybody (laughs) yeah i i I don't know man it just seems i don't know it seems very apocalyptic it seems like very mad maxish out there i don't like it yeah i I mean it's not as mad maxish as as like uh burning man but it still has a very just I don't know, weird deserty feel. I don't like it. Nope. I don't like it. Yeah. I, I, I see. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's from. just me. I can see that. I mean, do yeah. you, folks? And a lot of people do love it, of course. And if, I'm sure if yeah. I were a VIP and they had some awesome celebrity lounge for me to go, I'd, I'd go. But I'm not just going as a person. No way. No, thank mm-hmm. you. Anyways, Mike, somebody that is a royal celebrity did go. A little Leo DiCaprio went. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Say what? Yeah, and Mike, big news. Leo was spotted partying with Irina Shaikh. Hmm. Shake? Shake? Word. S-H-A-Y-K. Is it Shake? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Apparently, she's Bradley Cooper's ex. Now, as you might imagine, Mike, one of the reasons that I'm bringing this up is that Irina is 37 years old. 
Oh my gosh, a grandma. That's right. <laughs> Effing ancient, Mike. <laughs> that is right. Now, I've got a big question to the media out there. How long does he have to date and hang out with Irina for for her to get put on the graph that proves that Leo is getting a year older every year? How long do we get before we can break that spell that they keep claiming he never dates anyone over the age of 25? So I want to see it. Yeah. I want to see it, unbiased media. Put it on there. That's right. He's hooking up with Irina. You put it on there, all right? Lay off Leo. Yeah, He's an amazing do. fella. Come on. He is. He's just out there hanging out at, at, at Coachella trying to have a good time in the apocalypse. Anyways. <laughs> Mike, we are going to do a birthday suit before we go to break. Let's do our second birthday suit. We're doing a little change up here. Going to go okay. right now. Second birthday suit. I, I give you like a 50-50 on this one, I think. Okay. Okay. Born on April 19, 1986 in St. Louis, Missouri. Our birthday suit wearer's family was very successful at basketball. Her father was a standout uh, player at the University of Iowa. Her brother eventually made it to the NBA. So our birthday suit wearer was afraid she wouldn't live up to her family's expectations. But her family convinced her to play basketball by the 8th grade. And in high school, she won two state titles and was the state uh, or was the national high school player of the year twice. She ended up going to Tennessee, where she was a two-time champion and a two-time NCAA tournament MVP. In 2008, she was drafted number one by the Los Angeles Sparks. Since then, she has been a seven-time WNBA All-Star a 10-time All-WNBA player, a two-time WNBA MVP, and a two-time WNBA champion. She played with the Sparks until 2020 when she signed with the Chicago Sky. In 2018, along with her playing career, she started working as a commentator and analyst for NBA on TNT, which she still does now. Name that birthday suit wearer. Mm -mm. No idea. I'll give you her initials. I'll... Let's see if that works. Okay. CP. CP? CP, not Chris Paul. Hmm. Christina something. No. Candace Parker, Mike. Candace Parker. Uh... Candace Parker. I think you knew that. I know, yeah. I, I know you know Candace Parker. I've heard the Parker. name. Yeah, I know you know the name. Yeah. She, does, she does a good job commentating. She goes back and forth every now and then with uh, with Shaq when Shaq's getting on his old man tip. She puts Shaq in mm -hmm. his place. He realizes I was getting out there. I was being an old man. It's nice. By the way, I don't know if you saw, Mike, but uh, uh, Shaq's went back to bald face. He shaved his, his beard. Say what? He's got no beard oh, really? now. Yeah, he went back to just all shaved. It's very, it was, oh. it was very, uh, very unsettling. I turned on the playoffs, and there he is, just all bald faced. I was like, ah, ah, what the hell? Oh God! <laughs> like it was, that was, it was wild, man. And interesting. Uh, no offense to Shaq, but I, he should go back to beard. He looks better yeah. with a beard. I think he does. I don't know. I'm biased. I got a beard. So but true. Like I, I think he looks better with a beard. Regardless, hmm. Mike, Candace Parker. What's the top Google question associated with Candace Parker? Hmm. 
Who is the highest paid WNBA player? That's that's the top associated. And by the way, it's not her. She was not the top WNBA player. Uh, whoever it is, I forget the name of who it was. Is actually a player that I was not familiar with. Uh, they were at two hundred and fifty-six thousand dollars. That was their uh, paycheck. So there you go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like thirty-five thousand dollars. That's crushing it. Going to be real rough. <laughs> uh, real rough. Regardless, Mike, we are going to take a break. We are going to be right back with none other than Jared James Nichols right here on the Doc G Show. The Doc G Show. Because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM. Spinnaker. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio. WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am super excited to be welcoming a fantastic guitarist who is currently getting ready for tour. He'll be playing five times here in Florida, including once in Jacksonville. His third album just came out about four months ago. Mr. Jared James Nichols. Jared, how are you, sir? What's going on, man? I am great. Thanks for having me. And, uh, Excited to come to Florida, man. Yeah, it is. It is a good place for live music. I will. I will tell you that. I will. It is. People are ready to rock here. Well, they're ready. They're ready. I re love it. They're ready to do anything. It doesn't really matter. Country, reggae, <laughs> rock, whatever, whatever music you want to throw at them, they're ready for it. But uh, you're playing a couple. You're, so you're going the East Coast uh, for a couple of weeks, and then you're playing several mm -hmm. uh, West Coast shows. And then in June, exactly. you've got shows in Europe. And uh, I, yeah. I noticed all your top five listening locations on Spotify are in Europe. And, and like, it's not one localized area. It's London, Stockholm, Helsinki, Madrid, Paris. That's your top five. So That's I, nuts. I'm, guess, I'm guessing you see a lot of love when you go on European tours. Yeah, it's crazy. I went on my first my first European tour. It was it was nuts. I got the opportunity to go with uh, I did five shows with Leonard Skinner, and then I did about thirty shows on my own. You know, playing like cafes, playing small rock clubs, and it grew pretty quick in Europe. And whenever we go over there, you know, obviously we we didn't go over there for about two years, but we were just over there about a month ago, and it's like it's electric, man. So kind of funny, like. When I go there, they're like, you're an American playing rock and roll, like guitar. You're the original. And, and one, yeah, he goes, he goes, when you play guitar, it's like eagles flying out of the speakers. And I'm like, thanks, man. You know, so Europe does give me a lot of love. Now, now, is it I, I've I've heard from a lot of artists uh, because it is it's, it's one of those things. It's very interesting. Any sort of. Any any artist that has a vintage tinge of any sort, if it's rock, if it's if it's blues, if it's country, they appreciate it over there. It's a it's an Americana sort of thing. 
but I've also heard during the shows they have a tendency to be quieter than uh, American audiences. Is, is that your experience too? Do they really just zone in? hundred percent, man. It's funny, like country to country, it's different, right? So like, you know, when you're in England, it kind of feels a little bit more of like an American crowd. When you go to like France, dead quiet. And you're like, and I, I remember playing like France, Germany, um, Austria, all these places. And they were so quiet that at one point I started to think to myself, am I doing something wrong? Like what's, what's wrong with me right now? Because my, it would be dead quiet. And is my amp cut? Yeah, yeah man. And, and uh, I was like, maybe they don't like it. But uh, it is strange because it's like still over there going to a show for them. They check out the artist. They know the whole discography. They're they're totally ready, and uh, it's super fun to go over there, man, and just rock it out. Now, I well, I don't want to single out like any particular city versus another, but is there is there one city that you remember in Europe that you're just like they bring the heat? Man, Spain, Madrid, Spain. Nice. Like wherever we go in Spain, it's like they love heavy music, they love rock, they love blues, they love guitar, and. Uh, the, the crowds there, they go crazy. I remember the, we, we would play in Spain. Let's say we were going to play a 90-minute set. Mm-hmm. They would keep stomping on the ground, ole, 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 ole. And, like, we, I remember we'd play, like, three hours. They're nuts. <laughs> they go crazy. Shows start at midnight, and they're out all night. And, uh, man, it's it's just a, it's a different animal over there. And uh, I'd say Madrid, Spain is my favorite. I love it. I I, I, lo- I love I, I I've I've said multiple times on the show. The listeners are probably aware, but like I do like their sort of approach. The getting up later in the day, the taking the siesta in the middle of the day, the going out to eat dinner later, the going out to shows later. I'm like, yes, yes, I vibe with you guys. That's that's my style right there. Um, well, I, I mean, you've been, you've been, you, like you mentioned, you, you toured with Leonard Skinner uh, in Europe. Do you have any, I mean, from any of the shows that you've done in Europe, do you have any particular memories that really stick out? Yeah, there's there's quite a few, but the one that, that is like above all is when um, I got asked to jam with Skinner. We were doing like Sweet Home Alabama. Um, we were in Germany. We were playing, I think it was 18,000 in this arena for Skinner. And it was their encore. And I came out and joined them. And man, that was nuts. And we're, we're up there. We're jamming it out and stuff. And then Gary, rest mm-hmm. in peace, who had just passed, he, mm-hmm. he goes, take the solo. And I'm like, are you nuts? You know, like, what? So I just go up there in front and I start ripping it up. And uh, as they say, the crowd goes wild. But that was that was a moment because, you know, as a guitar player and a musician, I never dreamed that far. Yeah. I never dreamed like, you know, to be on stage opening for a band, you know, my favorite bands or jamming along with them, especially somewhere in Germany in front of 18,000 people. It was super, super cool. It was awesome. Man. It was one of those you had to stop and be like, did that, did that happen? Did I just, did I just do that? Did did Gary just asked me to take that solo of Sweet Home Alabama yep. in live. Yep. But you also think, I mean, from their side, they've been, I mean, they've been touring for 50 years. So it's its like, eh, what's one out of 18,000 shows that I've done? Yeah, go for it. 
knock yourself out. This will be fun. You yeah, know? they're like, go nuts, kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, so important question on touring. You've been you've been really dedicated to your fitness. You know, I see every mm-hmm. now and then you'll throw those posts out, crank an iron. When you're touring, oh, yeah. is it is it is it hotel gyms? Is it your own equipment? Do you do the one-day passes? How do you do fitness on the road? So in Europe, uh, I do the one-day passes. It's called Basic Fit. They're everywhere. It's, it's like a Planet Fitness, nice. you know, over there. Um, it's like six bucks a day. So I do that. Worth We're it. here in the States. Like the next run we're going on, um, it's really cool, man. I'm such a nerd. I moved into a new place, and I have a garage, so I built a gym, like nice. an old iron gym. So I'll be able to bring that stuff on the road with me. It can go in the trailer. Everyone's going to hate me for it, but they'll get so – I'll move it. Um, and then otherwise, man, on tour, I'll try and find like – you know, I have I have a membership to Planet Fitness, man. They're in every town, every small town. They are. And, uh, and usually I go in there and scare people. But, uh, man, I'll tell you this. A lot of guys on the road, you know, they get in this zone where it's kind of like show – eat some bad food, get super drunk, pass out, wake up, coffee, you know. And I, I tried to go the different route, man. I was like, you know what? I'm going to wake up. I'm going to find a gym because it's nice to have a balance. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I I just talked. Uh, we just had uh, Barry from Shinedown on the show, and I was, oh, yeah. actually, I was actually talking to him because – their whole band has sort of embraced it since Brent, uh, since Brent kicked his addiction, you know, and uh, and, and it's been working out. Like all of them are, you, that that's one of their things. They got to find a time to work out, and like his, he, plus you know they're shine down. So he they were in they were in uh, state college a, a week or so ago, and and the folks at Penn State were like, yeah, you can use our basketball facilities. So like it's incredible. So Brent has like this video where he's walking around like, hey, check out all this cool stuff. I'm like, what? Everybody gets to yeah. do that, Brent. Come on, man. Like- <laughs> the, the perks, man. I think that's so good too, and I think that that's such a positive thing that um, you know, because you know as well as I do, man. A lot of times when people think about a band, they think about musicians, they think about lazy, just you know, whatever addictions and all of the above. But it's kind of cool to be an outlier and, and to do something that you know resonates with you. That I think a lot of people can um, can pick up on it and get influenced by it too. Well, and it it can go both ways. It's like you're saying. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I think the myth is sort of losing itself a little bit. But there was that myth that when you were an artist, you had to be somewhat of an addict. You had to be this tortured, you know, soul that was always abusing different substances. And, you know, I, I think Brent's a good example of showing you've got a guy that was in that headspace that found an outlet in fitness that doesn't need it anymore that's just as creative, just as good of an artist, if not a lot better without it, you know? So... Absolutely. I, I, I did a show with Shinedown in Panama City Beach. It was probably about five, six months ago. And um, his energy, the whole band's energy, you could see that too. And I think that for like the fans, even for me when I was watching, I was like, man, this is great because I don't think he's ever been in better shape. And I yeah. think that that's just something really great for a live show. Of course. Yeah, yeah. That what Me and Barry talked about as far as like how many calories because he actually had some uh, researcher set him up during a uh, a concert 
counting the calories as far as how many he was oh, burning. Oh, wow. And he said he was burning like fifteen to 1,600 calories a, a show as far as when he was drumming, which, you know, makes sense. But, I mean, it's the same thing when you talk about guitarist, uh, vocalist, like you're running around stage, you're, you're, you're throwing into the crowd. Like, it's, it's a lot of got to have a high fitness out there, man. Um, well, it's funny too. Like with guys on tour, man, they'll they'll sit there the first show, and all of a sudden they'll be jamming. I'll be you know heavy breathing. I'm like, oh man, I'm out of shape. <laughs> By the end of it, you're finally into it. <laughs> well, uh, I know. So about a year and a half ago, you 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 broke your arm pretty pretty gnarly uh, break there on the yeah. arm. Uh, do you have any ling- lingering like ramifications as far as fitness or issues or anything like that? A little bit. That actually happened in Florida too, Panama City Beach. Gosh. Man, don't worry. This isn't anything about Florida. <laughs> it's just, a <laughs> just a freak uh, coincidence. Yeah. So uh, actually, it's it's funny. Do you remember that movie Rookie of the Year, mm-hmm. where the kid breaks his arm and then all of a sudden he's like, Shh. Yeah. I have like a metal plate in this arm, so like. Yeah, it's weird, and it moves kind of in weird ways, but it's really, really strong, which is really kind of funny, because, you know, at first, I was like, man, this is going to be really tough to try and, like, get back into my fitness routine, even just playing guitar. You know, at first, I had to hold the guitar a certain way, because I didn't want to put too much pressure there, but now, it's healed, and every day, it gets a little bit more where, like, Forever, I couldn't feel the the spot where they cut in, mm. so I wouldn't be able to feel it. But now I can feel everything again, and it's a little bit like rookie of the year because I'll I'll like use a lot more. I'll open a door, you know, and it's like, oh man. But um, superhero powers. A little bit of a superhero. I'm I'm a metal man, you know, Iron Man. <laughs> you that that uh, X ray looks gnarly. The one that you had on mm-hmm. on social media, man, with all, all like it always it's so funny. I mean, I, I get it as far as orthopedic surgery, as far as the way that they have to do it. But it just looks mm-hmm. so like random when you look at the x-ray. Like there's there's just like screws. And I'm like, looks like they just like Dude, put in the little it, it the bar. Like yeah. Just like, yeah, bleh, man. Bleh, bleh, bleh. there we go. That's good. That's uh, that should be work like and just. It's, it's it's ridiculous. It's like us hanging a picture, and we're like, just put a nail there, put another one right yeah. there. Oh yeah, now it's holding. Yeah, and I'm just like, man, it doesn't like you'd think you'd think you'd go in there and it'd be all super uniform, and everyone would be in line, and it's nah, it's just sort of. Zip, 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 and I'm like, I got, I'm I'm not gonna question them. They're the professionals, but you know, just it doesn't make for the prettiest picture when you look at it, you know. But it's definitely good. not. It's good. It's good that it's it's back, and I mean, uh, it's not affecting. Definitely not affecting the guitar. Um, do you have any like? Do you have any long term fitness goals, or is it just? Is it more of an outlet as far as just like, you know, keeping in shape? Well, so I'm I'm like six five and about two hundred and fifty pounds, right? And my friends, they're like oh man, you should really start getting into it almost competitively. If you worked it, you could do that. And I'm like, man, I'm a musician. I'm a guitarist. This is, you know, so for me, the fitness is really an outlet. And honestly, it's kind of a head change. You know, it's like, it gets me, uh, it's the yin to the yang. So for me, it's, it's honestly, I don't have a problem with the consistency because I feel like every day, if I don't do it now, I feel weird. You know, I gotta do that. But um, long-term goals, man, is, is to just, you know, just continue to 
stay in shape. You know, uh, I, I love like weight training. Mm-hmm. So like, obviously for me personally, you know, more weight, a little more size, all, all, all in a, a healthy way, of course, because the reality is, you know, being on tour, it's hard enough to, to keep a regimen going. But that's kind of my goal is to nice. just always have this as my kind of a side hobby, nice. side passion. Well, I mean, uh, one of the guys that you toured with, uh, that's a mentor of yours, he he loves it too. Zach Wild, he's out there, man, oh, yeah. cr- cranking iron. And uh, over the last, like, year, he's went crazy on his diet. He has just got, like, shredded as far as how, like, just lean he is. Um, man, yes. Zach and I are, like, I call him dad. But, like, he's every day we're sending each other, like, pictures of the gym or he's sending me new equipment. He's like, I'm sending you stuff. Tells me about his diet. He has, he is like crazy how much his diet is tuned in right now. Yeah. I can't even believe it. I, I saw in an article where he was talking about, he was like, yeah, after a show, we'll hit a Denny's. I would just get like a 12, 12 eggs scrambled, nothing on it, no condiments. And I was just like, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound fun at You're all. Like, what? <laughs> Man, we did a festival in uh, in where were we? Sacramento aftershock last year. Mm. And me and Zach went to catering after the show, and um, I got like a salad, like you know, like all the normal stuff that we would eat. Salads. I got a burger, whatever. And Zach walks up to the girl and he goes, "Hey, I just need like twenty hard boiled eggs." <laughs> and she kind of like thinks about it. And she's like, "What? What do you need?" It's just like 20 hard-boiled eggs. So he had 20. I sat. He sat there and cracked the eggs and ate 20 of them and then had a little bit of fruit, and that was it. And I'm like, this guy's like a machine. She, crazy. She was like, what are you, from Cool Hand Luke? Are you going to eat those exactly, in 10 man. minutes? What's going on here? Uh, so funny. You got you got a, uh, the one other person as far as, as, far as fitness that you got to keep up with. We had Phil Collin from Def Leppard on, on the show. And I was like, before the show, I was getting, you know, getting ready. And like, I just came across a couple of these articles talking about him working out. And in one article back in 2014, he said he was benching 380 pounds and he weighed 160 pounds at the time. And I was just like, yeah. And I asked him, I was like, is that true? He's like, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, what? What are you? Do-? And he was 56. I mean, he was 56 when he did that. Like, he's, he is, and talk about diet. He's, he's super tuned in on his diet, too. It's, it's nuts. Uh, it's the- totally nuts. You guys, yeah, it's an inspiration, man. I mean, the fact that he is still, even now, here we are, that was 2015, whatever, but like now, he's still killing. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Oh yeah, they, they they're both. I mean, and Shredder's on the guitar, obviously, obviously. But totally. but so you're you're going out on the road. You're promoting the third album. Uh, yep. You moved out of your hometown in Wisconsin 13 years ago to pursue music, which like it seems like forever. Does it seem like forever it, ago to you? It does. I, I it seems like I'm a different person than than same same goals, same love. But yeah, it feels like forever, man. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, there, I mean, there's been a whole bunch of things, of course, that have happened since then. 
and before you moved to LA, you you had a scholarship to Berkeley, and yeah, you know I. I've had so many people on the show that have been associated with Berkeley. Some like yourself that were like, mm-mm, not for me. And then some that, mm-hmm. that loved it. I mean, we had Steve Vai, who he was all about it, went through it, you know. And I, I sort of wondered, what was it as far as Berkeley that turned you so far off? And, like, was there ever a point that afterwards were you like... I don't know if guitar's for me, or was it just the academic part that you were like, no, that's not for me? To to be honest with you, when I went to Berkeley, I had um, real big hopes of becoming like a crazy, like just all about the instrument. And, you know, I was down to learn theory. I was down to learn any facet of what it was about the guitar. Mm -hmm. The thing that turned me off so hard right away is when I got my school, my class schedule, and I was in a conducting class. I was in like a counterpart harmony writing class, which is like basically writing for multiple instruments, right? Like classical music. I was in like a, a art appreciation class, keyboard basic. I had one guitar class and it was like uh, string theory 101. And that was it. So I remember like talking to the teachers and saying, hey, how can I, uh, you know, get more playing in and stuff? And I talked to them. They'd say, well, what are you into? I'm, I'm really into blues. I'm really into rock. Yeah. And they would always scoff at that. Mm. And they'd say, oh, well, if you're into that, like, what are you doing kind of? Or, you know, well, you already have that. We're going to teach you like real applications about music. And that would have been great if I was trying to pursue maybe a situation where I was a music teacher at a school or, you know, something like that. But man, I had the same feeling now as I did then. I wanted to rock and roll. I wanted to play. Yeah. I wanted to like really become something on the instrument. And um, I remember when I was there, it just, I always felt like what I really wanted in my passion, it was like, well, we don't do that here. That's that's not what this is about. So I got really disgusted and I told my parents, I'm like, I'm quitting. My mother, my mom was mortified, man. Yeah. She's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And I remember I had to go to the, the dean's office mm-hmm. when uh, when I was going to quit and I had to sign a paper. And when I walked in, he said to me, if you sign this paper, you are throwing away a career in music. And I said, where's the pen, man? You know, I, I, I had no interest in listening to anyone over there. I almost felt like at a, mo- a moment that I was brainwashed, like maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't try and play like rock or blues or do what I love and maybe I should just do what they want me to do. And uh, it was crazy. But then when I left, I was figuring out what am I going to do next? So there was um, another school I heard a lot of great things about in LA called Musicians Institute. Mm -hmm. And I told my parents, I'm like, I'm going to save up money. I got a job landscaping and doing guitar lessons on the side for a year. And I saved up and I moved to LA and that's kind of when everything started to take a turn. I started my trio. I started getting super serious and just really dug in. Hey, it, it's funny. You took the opposite direction as uh, we had Ben Cody on the show. And Ben started at Musicians Institute. And then he went to, he went to uh, Berkeley. And hopefully... Right. You know, your experience, hopefully that doesn't happen anymore. And I'd say Ben can attest to it because, you know, now he's part of the guitar group there at Berkeley. And he's he's all about rock. That's all he does. That's all he wants to do. So hopefully, you know, 
Hopefully they've increased it. And I mean, he said he still got, you know, the whole time he was there, he got that every time. Oh, you're into rock. <sighs> okay. Oh yeah. You know, so <laughs> he he definitely he definitely saw that. That that's it's not surprising. It's not well when you went out to L.A. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's it's music town. It's 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 a rock town. Were there any iconic sites that you had to see when you first went out there? Were you like, I, I got to see this? Oh, man, I was so gung-ho. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. I was like the kid that got dropped off in L.A. off the bus and was like, <laughs> this is like a different world. Living in Hollywood, I remember I would just walk. I walked up and down Hollywood Boulevard, and then I go to the Sunset Strip. And I remember going to the Sunset Strip with like 20 bucks. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a beer. And they were like, all right, cool. That's like $14, you know? And I'm like, oh man, I guess I got one beer. Um, but yeah, I you just know what? It. I I'll take to- one and a half beers then. Go ahead. <laughs> I'd plug this and then just give me another half. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love it. And now, now, I mean, one of the big things, once you sort of had that big switch and you go out to L.A., I mean, something that you're known for, it's iconic, is your finger style playing. Uh, and and right. I, I heard you had that out there. That was sort of, you know, it was developed once you were there. I, I sort of think about it in my head as like a, you know, a magical movie moment where it's like you're, 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 you're in the lab thinking about it and you're like, how to, oh, you know what? Oh yeah, you know, and all of a sudden the the sound effects go off in the background, and it's like unlocking oh, yeah. the matrix. Was was it like that, or was it a slow thing that just sort of you started playing more and more? Well, here here it is. I love that scenario, by the way. But it was like, so I'm a lefty. I write with my left hand. I drink everything I do. I'm a lefty. So when I played the guitar the first time, I picked it up. I, I was holding it like a lefty. Mm-hmm. And I was told, hey, man, that, that my first guitar teacher, he goes, it's going to be hard. Don't play like Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're always going to have to have your own guitar. You're never going to find awesome guitars because, like, yeah. it's a right-handed guitar world. So I switched it. And the pick, truly, I was never awesome with it. I never felt totally at home. So what I started to do was, like, play with a pick and use my finger. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of do it like country chicken picking, hybrid picking style, they call it. And then... I remember after Berkeley, I started to just kind of play with my fingers because I was so angsty. I was just like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, I can get the same sound like this. So I had a gig and I literally forgot my pick. And I was like, I'm going to play the whole gig. I'm going to try and play it just with my fingers and see how it goes. And it was tough. And I remember being like, oh, man, I don't think I could do this. But there was something about it that I loved the connection that I could feel the strings underneath this hand as much as my fretting hand. Yeah. And I started to do it more. And I remember people telling me, they're like, dude, if you're going to be like a guitar player, you have to use a pick. If you don't use a pick, you know, like all professional guitar players use a pick. But then I was getting into guys like Jeff Beck and Derek Trucks and, um, you know, Mark Knopfler and Albert King, all these people. So I started to really get into it. And then it just became fun for me. I kept developing it in my own way. And like you said, when I got out to LA, it was starting to get pretty good at it. And people were like, oh, you're the no pit guy. And I was like, I guess. Like, I didn't think it was going to become my calling card. Yeah. But it started to grow into this thing where people were genuinely flipping out about it. Yeah. Because they they didn't know I wasn't playing without one until they looked. And then they were like, 
how are you doing that? You know. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, it looks like when you're playing, you've you've still got your thumb and your index finger looking like there's a pick there. Uh, mm-hmm. Does does it? I mean, do you have like, is it the toughest skin ever built up on your thumb and your index finger where you're striking? Yeah, these three are completely. To be honest with you, dude, they're they're so thick of callus that like it's pretty gnarly. And uh, <laughs> it took a long it took a long time though because at first I was like, I'll use my nail. Mm. And I remember being on stage and completely ripping my thumbnail. Oh, like like I looked down and I almost started to laugh when I looked at it because it was like popped off. And I was like, how am I going to get through the rest of the set? So then I had to use these two fingers and just kind of <laughs> whatever. But um. Yeah, the skin on the corners of my thumb, index, and middle, they are so tough. And uh, yeah, now when I play the guitar, I don't even think about it. It's just like it's it's in my hand. It's weird, too, with guitar players. You'll always notice this. Like, even how I, I rest my hand, yeah, it's, it's like it's that. on a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really funny. If you, I feel like you could do almost like circus tricks of like, you know, getting like nails and like, lighters and just <laughs> not feeling at all on Burn that it. thumb yeah so so when you went into i mean it's it's sort of well known and sort of like your bio as far as as getting to the point you're at now you went in a les paul tribute contest which was sort of like that big break and that was really early mm-hmm. once you'd gone to la um so yeah. had you already i'm guessing you'd already like fully adapt uh, adopted the finger style by that time yeah i'd adopted it by then and i remember you know being in la there was so many players everywhere and there was a lot of great guitar players and i had my eye on the prize i was like i gotta do something i gotta do something to like stand out or join a band whatever and i remember seeing a flyer for the les paul tribute contest and they said send in a demo tape like submission and man I remember I sent in, I was at MI on the computer libraries making the worst sounding track you ever heard so I could play over it and send it in. And they they chose me. I get there, there's 30 players and we all had to draw out of a hat. I drew number 30. Mm. So legit, I was the last one to go after all these other players. I'm sitting back there freaking out and I'm like, oh man, how is this going to go? You know? Gotta bring the uh, fire. I brought the fire. And I remember I won a, a... Les Paul Goldtop, Gibson's Goldtop. I want to feature in Guitar Player Magazine, a year supply of strings, like all these, a few different endorsements. And I remember like that was it. And I met a guy through that contest and he said, hey man, do you have a band? I was like, not yet. I just moved here. He goes, well, I got a studio and you could get some guys and come on over. His name was Phil Jargui. And I still work with him today, but that was 10 years ago, yeah. was, you know, no, even more. that was 11, 12 years ago. And through his studio, I got my first gigs at the Viper Room. I got to meet and hang out with the guys from Aerosmith. It was just all this crazy chain of events that really kicked off me, like starting my trio and starting to tour. Well, I, I was about to say, I mean, that had to be a huge moment for you meeting Phil, Phil because, I mean... Seems like a good dude to have in your corner, and uh, I'm I'm totally. I'm guessing when you went to his studio, uh, you were a little awestruck. I heard the first time you went there, uh, Marilyn Manson was uh, at the studio. That's got to be a uh, a big time first impression. What that dude here now? 
Like that's got to yeah. be impressive. Yeah, man. I remember I went to the studio and I was like, oh, I'd never been in a real studio, like a functioning studio. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. And he's like, oh, uh, Marilyn Manson's in that room. And all of a sudden Manson walks out and he kind of smiles at me. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, you know? And then uh, 30 Seconds to Mars is in this room. And over here we have, you know, Government Mule, all this different stuff. And I'm like, whoa. So then we start jamming there during off time because I was broke. I didn't have a dollar. So he would let us come and jam when no one else was playing. Nice. And I remember we were in there late at night and there was our door cracks open. And I hear, hey, man, who are you? And I look and I'm like, and it was Steven Tyler. <laughs> and he goes, hey, we're making a record in the back. Come hang out with us. So I immediately literally put my guitar down and walked in the back. And he was all the dudes from Aerosmith were there, the producer Jack Douglas and Johnny Depp was there and all this stuff. Right. And through that, I got to hang out for like six months with those guys and watch them record. It was just it was crazy cool. Who's who's the guy that when Steven Tyler says, hey, man, come hang out. Nah, I'm good. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm practicing here. Give me some space, Steven. Come on. Man, exactly. That's wild, man. Well, I mean, you've played with so many of of not just I mean rock heroes, but guitar heroes. I mean, you know, you, you Slash and 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 Leslie West and Zach Wild and Joe Bonamassa and just all of these guys. The list goes on of these guys that you've got to meet and play with and and learn from. And I was just wondering, like, from all of those interactions. What what has it taught you about you know about guitar about what you love about your playing when you talk to these guys that are you know at that level obviously that are just known throughout the world I mean you know Slash being the global ambassador of Gibson like what what has it taught you about yourself what do you see in that and what have you learned as far as a musician Well a great question man I feel like there's a real common thread um, that is the love of the music. Because I think with all of these pe people you listed off, they're there because they love it. They still love it. You know, everyone from Slash and Joe and Zach and Billy Gibbons and Peter Frampton and all this crazy crew that I've been honored to jam with, the, the fact of it is, is everyone is still like, when, when, when we pick up our guitars, when I'm sitting there picking up a guitar with them, everyone's excited. They want to play. And it is, and there's this, humility about all of those players that yes it is about you know they have all these accolades and they've done all this incredible stuff but they're still just human and they want to hang mm -hmm. and they just want to have a good time playing music and i feel like out of all of those people you mentioned the biggest thing is they don't really have an ego like they yeah of course they they have a a reputation and a career and all of these things but they're all there because they love it. And when it's showtime, like with like Zach Wilder, or Bonamassa, you know, I'll watch them go from like, yeah, man, it's all good to be like, yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden it's like game face. And I love that. I think it, it's, it's really uh, inspiring for me because, you know, I never thought I'd even meet these guys, much less jam with them or create friendships. So at the end of the day, I, I, I try and learn everything I can from them. You, uh, you know, I, the same thing, it makes me think of the way that you explained it because it's, it is, it's, it's so true. You get awestruck, you see these, these massive stars and it's just like, oh my God, that's, it's really them. 
But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's it's like I, I love the the documentary. It might get loud. I don't know. Have you ever seen? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah. And you know the the thing that I love the most about it is when they sit down together, and you've got Jack White, you've got the Edge, and you've got Jimmy Page, and you know Jack White and and uh, the Edge seem fascinated, and like that makes sense. But the thing that I'm really just drawn in is it's Jimmy Page, the guy of guys as far as guitarist. You just, I mean creator of Zeppelin, the almighty Zepp, like just stairway to heaven, everything. And he's just a dude that's excited to see how they're playing. Like they'll play something and he just like keys in on it. And he's looking at it. He's like, oh, so you, oh, so you, okay. And like, he's trying to learn it on his guitar right there. And you're just like, you're, you're Jimmy Page and you're doing that. Like, it's crazy. Dude, it's like that scene in the movie when he's playing the rumble by that guy Link Ray. That bling, he loves bling. it, yeah. And he's just like, he's so excited. And you're like, <laughs> you're Jimmy Page, like, dude, you are a god among men. Yeah, yeah. and it just takes yeah. and you you see it. It takes him back. It humanizes him to that point of going back to when he was a kid, just so jazzed about that record. Yep. And he was like, huh, huh, like yep. just it's it, it's it's really and. I mean to go along with that. Actually, uh, we had we had Doug Aldridge on the show uh, a while Love back, Doug. and yeah, such a nice guy. And he was telling me we got on topic because I asked him about his jerseys. Uh, you know, he wears jerseys all the time, and I was like, we we started talking about Kobe and how much he loved Kobe, and he said, you know, Kobe's drive, his passion for basketball actually drove Doug's passion for guitar. Some nights he said he would be out there uh, playing with Whitesnake, and, you know, they never changed up their set list, so it would always be the same thing, and he'd just be like, all right, you're going through the motions, Doug. You got to pick it up. And, like, he, he literally said, I would ask myself, what would Kobe do? And he would just snap into this Kobe, you know, Mamba mentality and he would just start, yep. you know, ripping it up, shredding it up. And I was I was wondering, do you have anybody or anything outside of guitar that motivates you for guitar, their passion, their drive for what they do? You're like, that, I want to have that. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I think, like, even, like, random stuff, right? Like, I think about like I lost my dad in 2020 and he was always loved that I played guitar. He was a construction worker. He had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. But that guy had the work ethic where he could work, you know, 15 hours a day and every day. And uh, sometimes I think about stuff like that where, you know, when I have like a bad day or I'm tired and I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. I'm like, dude, you get to play the guitar. You get to play music like and then all of a sudden, it'll just kind of give me like that headspace where I just thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, what am I complaining about? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Or, man, I'll look up to a lot of different people. Like, like I'll look up to obviously musical heroes and stuff. But then I'll look up to people that are like random. Like, dude, I look up to like Schwarzenegger and I look up to like some of these people and I'm just like, wow. You know, like people that have pure intention to achieve their goals. And they put their heart into it. That's those are all always the people that I look up to, no matter what they're doing. You, gotta, you know what I mean? Got to respect it. I mean, you yeah, have- I respect the grind, man. Especially like the insanity version, where it's like, 
you have to go above and beyond what most people would find comfortable. Oh yeah. And I think trying to be a musician, especially in 2023, it's going to be pretty uncomfortable because you got to figure out a lot of stuff. You know, there's no set path. So having that little bit of insanity, I think it's a good thing. Oh yeah. Arnold definitely had it too. The listeners that haven't mm-hmm. gone back and watched some uh, pumping iron, you'll, you'll, you'll get there you it. Go. You'll get it. He, <laughs> he uh, obsessed was uh, to put it lightly as far as sculpting his body, the way he wanted to, to come out in, in competition. Um, no I, well, I mean, you know, sort of making it happen as far as your career and, and, and becoming the artist you wanted to be, uh, at, at some point you move, you move from LA to Nashville what what motivated you on that move and and sort of uh, why'd you think Nashville would be better for you? So when when I was about out of LA, I was on tour so much. At 2019, I was on the road for 308 days straight. Woo. So the first thing first was having a place in LA. It was expensive enough as it was just mm-hmm. to have a small spot to basically keep myself and my gear. But then it started to get to the point where I was saying, man, I'm not even there. And a lot of my friends that were in LA started moving to Nashville because they said, hey man, it's so cheap. This is in like 2017, 2018. And it's a guitar town. There's so much going on musically. And there's obviously a ton going on in Los Angeles musically, but I felt like there, it's an entertainment capital. There's like acting, there's modeling, there's everything. But in Nashville, felt like it was music. just really music. So I started to go there and I started to like, you know, just kind of hang out. And the first things I realized after living in LA, I was like, man, it's a lot more slower paced, relaxed here. And I was like, I think that would be good when I get off the road because, you know, coming back into LA, it was just like everything, nothing stops. And then of course the price, but I really just wanted to have that change. And I remember when I moved, I was like, man, am I doing the right thing? And I, I always said, well, I can always go back to LA if I want to. But uh, it really, uh, it was crazy. I moved in September of 2019, straight on the road the next day, got my stuff here and, and we got on the road. And I was on the road basically until March of 2020 when the pandemic hit. Man. So, yeah. So it was like, I didn't spend much time in Nashville until basically I was. Until you were isolated there. in Nashville. Until. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, real quick before we go on to the the new album, um, you're you're a brand ambassador for Gibson, and I feel like being who you are and how long you've loved guitar, like what does it mean to you to be a, a for for Gibson for the company? You know. Oh man, ultimate honor. Like I. Even if Gibson didn't want me to do that, I still love the guitar so much. I'd never stop playing them. Like when I got that opportunity, I couldn't believe it because it's like you said, it's Slash, it's Dave Mustaine, Jerry Cantrell, Lizzie Hale, and it's just kind of crazy to me. In in a way of like, I still feel like a kid when I pick up my guitar and, and play. You know, so I feel like it's the ultimate honor. I never dreamed that far, and uh, it's something that I'm I really hold near and dear, man. And I'm just honored. It's uh, me and my brother talk about it. He's a he's a Gibson man through and through. He loves you know. Nice. He plays guitar. He's got I don't know. He's probably got like fifteen twenty Gibsons. Um, but uh, you know he always brings it up. It doesn't matter who the artist is. When you look at the recording, 
it's going to be a Les Paul that they recorded on. It's going to be some Gibson that they recorded. They may have a deal with another company. They may have, you know, a Jackson deal or a Fender deal or a BC Rich or whatever it is. But when it comes to recording, it's going to be that Les Paul that comes out that you go, oh, I see the 57 made it out on the on the recording. Huh, okay. So many times, man, I'm in a studio or there's, you know, and, and it's not only like heavy bands, it's like all bands. Yeah. And no matter who they have a deal with, I'll always see that Les Paul and, it, and it's like, you know, it, it's, it's the best. I don't know how else to say it. There's something about it. I mean, even the other day, I was asked to um, play on a record and I walked in the room and they had a bunch of strats and a Telecaster, and I brought my Les Paul. And the producer goes, "Oh, you 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 have your Les Paul?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, I think the part's going to be like more, you know, Stratocaster." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Okay, well, let me just try it on this since I already have it out, and we'll see where we go." And I remember I played it on the Les Paul, and his his ears like pricked up, and it was like, to me, man, and it, it it's like anything if you know how to use it, you know, it's it's it can be the can be anything yeah and i think that's the test of gibson and especially a great Les paul you can sure. do whatever you want for sure well now let's talk about the newest album uh self-titled and i feel like that's that's a big deal like i feel like it's really mm-hmm. a big deal when it's not the first album and mm-hmm. uh i gotta ask why why did you decide self-titled on the third the third album the the real reason i wanted to go self-titled was on my first two releases, the first record, Old Glory, that was the first time I was ever in a studio. And Black Magic was done basically when I was off the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was a record that I, I cared about and I thought about a lot, but I didn't really get to, like, dig in and put, like, everything I had into it. With this record, this is the first time I feel like my sound and the energy was fully realized. Like, check this out. We went into the studio a trio, we all played together, straight to tape, no computers, no click tracks. It was as old school as it can get with a batch of songs that I love. And I remember I was thinking like, what am I going to call the record? And I thought to myself, well, this is the one that I feel like if someone was to check out and say, who's Jared James Nichols? Mm-hmm. They could put on this record and this would give them that absolute you know, taste of, of everything I'm about. And it serves as the menu for the live show. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that. I feel like most artists, if, if they're in the right headspace, you know, they put their name on the album as the album title. That's what they're thinking. This is what people are mm-hmm. going to go to when, when they think me. So, um, I, I, I'm guessing as far as, like you mentioned, your first two albums, the sound has changed a little uh, well, I, I would say a pretty good amount between the the two albums. Would you say the like the main change that you wanted on this album, as far as the sound, was more of that raw feel, that live sound? Yeah, it was more of that live sound, and I wanted the energy to truly translate because I feel like I thrive in the live setting. That's where I feel most comfortable. And whenever I'm in the studio and it's like, okay, here we go. It's time to lay the guitars down. I always feel like it got too sterile. Yeah. This felt like I was just able to express myself in a more, I don't want to use the word organic, but just a more natural way. Mm-hmm. It felt like instead of me trying to shoot for something like everything was recorded at one time, you know, it was organic. It was like, I just, I just was talking through the instrument and 
getting that sound, I feel like it was compared to like just trying to find the lightning in the bottle. Yeah. That energy and that, that like a stick of dynamite. To, to me, there's that, there's that in between because I'm not usually, unless it's like, you know, an iconic live album, I don't want to hear it actually live in a, in, in right. like recorded in an arena or somewhere like that. But at the same time, it's like you said, uh, sometimes that sterile feel as far as just so, and there, there are artists that that works for, obviously you get something like, cause I mean, like that's the thing, like Def Leppard, you've got such a, such a well crafted oh, yeah. and well honed sound, but it works. But then like when you talk about your music, there, there's a need for that organic sound in the blues that you play the blues rock that you play and and if it's not that right mix then it just doesn't come out sound it sound like you said comes out either sounding oh this is a little bit too it's a little too in the box or mm -hmm. this is just a little too chaotic and this one came out right in the middle and i think too man to go along with that i wanted to make a record that still felt like it had some human element. There's a lot mm -hmm. of uh, bumps and bruises. And I think that's something that's really cool that sometimes people try and make music that sounds too perfect. Or yeah. it's like you play a part and then they go, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to auto-tune it. And I'm going to put it on a grid so it's in perfect yeah. timing. For someone like me, it's just like, man, I am far from perfect. <laughs> so just let, let, me, let me play it the way I'm trying to play it. And that's, you know... That's kind of my character. My character coming out. The imperfections make it. I mean, it, it makes it unique. It, it makes me always think of, of of comedy. You know, you think of Saturday Night Live, and you think of them screwing up, and the screw yep, ups are the, totally. like the best part of Saturday Night Live. You don't have any of those uh, those moments where they break character and they can't keep it together. That's eh, eh. It's all right. I mean, it's good, <laughs> but it's not as good. And like those things the same in music you don't hear those imperfections it's like eh, is this human is this yeah i don't know so it it came Absolutely. out it came out fantastic it's a great album um the album release party was crazy too i noticed uh you know talking about shinedown earlier uh zach mm -hmm. myers from shinedown was there um yep and i i was wondering man how being there how'd it go <laughs> it was it went too fast, man. It felt like my birthday party. You know, like you're like, you know, like the day you wake up and you're like, all right, it's finally here. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I was coordinating with, because we had Zach, we had Richie Faulkner from Judas Priest, we had Peter Keys from Skinnerd. Um, we, we had all these cool guests, but the reality was like, the day just went too fast. But having all those guys on stage and jamming was so much fun. It was like, we played the record from top to bottom and then brought out the special guest. And this, the funny part too, is it was my first ever show here in Nashville headlining. So I'm thinking like, man, I don't know what's, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't know if people are going to show up, but the place was absolutely rammed and uh, everyone played incredibly. It just felt great playing the record in whole for the first time. Yeah, It was just kind of like one of those fully realized nights where I was like, yes, like we did it. Like, you know, I felt like, you know, getting this record out, playing that show, like I almost gave birth, man. It was like a weight was off of me. I was like, Ooh. okay, I did it. Okay, yeah. This is awesome. 
Now, do do you remember? I mean, I, I'm guessing it was very hard in the moment, but do you remember like what song people responded to the most uh, from the album? Yeah, there was two of them. The first one was uh, the second track, "Easy Come, Easy Go." Mm-hmm. And it, it's more of like a just kind of a straight four on the floor, like rock. Almost, it was like Black Keys meets I don't even know Black Keys meets something heavy and uh people went crazy on that and then people also they were going super crazy we have a song on the record called hallelujah Mm -hmm. and it's more heavy Mm -hmm. and it's probably the heaviest song i've ever recorded but i'm telling you this and i thought it was so funny at one point like a mini mosh pit started breaking out you know and people will come to my show and they'll be like oh it's like this you know rock blues rock uh, guitar player you know it'll be cool yeah and then next thing you know there's a mosh pit just everybody (laughs) going crazy it was hilarious, man. I, I, you know, we brought up Shinedown earlier, and I actually, I talked to Barry about this, and I was wondering, since you toured with Skinnerd and you performed with Shinedown, you can weigh in on this. You can let me know your opinion. But I told Barry, no offense to uh, to uh, uh, Leonard Skinnerd, but I like I like Shinedown's version of Simple Man more than Leonard Skinnerd's. I don't know which which one do you prefer. So. I remember when their version came out, the Shinedown. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, whoa, this dude can sing. Yeah. Like, he can belt it, yeah. right? Um, it's, it's weird. I can't say I like one more than the other because in my life, like memory-wise, I have timestamps of when I... Yeah. Can... Yeah. But I will say this, that version that they have is absolutely like takes it it takes the original and takes it somewhere else mm-hmm. in a really really amazing way so like that was a knockout that's that's to me to me that is doing a cover with more justice than anyone probably thought you ever could it, and it's so simple the way they did it it's so simple and pure it's not you know a bunch of smoke and mirrors it's literally a guitar and a voice well it's and, it's, it's, so, it's it's like you said i mean the thing that drives it when you've got Bren's voice on there, like that's that's the thing. Is like I told Barry, like to me, especially in like modern rock, you can't get a better voice than his. Like it's just so mm-hmm. passionate. Like every emotion you feel in yeah. that voice, and like and that's I always bring it up. Like you know, any any voice that you're looking for as far as that you know music to move you. It's got to be able to give you every emotion, and he can give you happiness. He can give you anger. He can give you sadness. Like it's, it's impressive, and he does it. He does it on that song. It's 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 ridiculous, but it's uh, yeah, man. His his connection to to like tapping into everyone's like emotions. That's I think a lot. That's one of the most powerful tools to have as a musician, right? Like you said, like he can channel all of that, and we can feel it. Yeah, and that cover. It he, still gives me chills when I hear it. He did it. He did it on that one. Well, Jared, one more question. Uh, yeah, man. Tell the listeners what they can expect when they come to your show on the 29th here in Jacksonville. What are they looking forward to? Oh, man. They can expect a high-energy rock and roll show. But, you know, I what I pride myself on is, is really trying to connect with the audience and... and give a lasting impression of the night. And um, 
don't worry, it's not going to be like a crazy, you know, crash, bang, boom. There's highs and lows to the show. We're going to play the whole record. Um, what's really cool, too, I'm, I'm touring with uh, a guy, Tuck Smith. When we come out, we do a jam. There's a lot of different stuff. Maybe I'll have some special guests. Nice. And they can just expect a great old school live show. Feel all the emotions in that live show. Absolutely. Man. I love it. I love it. You can check him out at his website, jaredjamesnichols.com, or you can check him out on social media at Jared James Nichols. Uh, Jared, thanks a lot for being on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Man, thanks for having me, and I can't wait to be back in Florida and uh, ready to rock Jacksonville, man. Of course. Right now, let's take a listen to that hallelujah. Hopefully, no mosh pits break out while you guys are listening to it. Keep it safe out there while you're listening to this song. Right here on the Doc G Show.
are back here on the Doc G Show. You just heard Jared, James, Nichols. My goodness, Mike. That dude, fan of his fitness, yes. fan of music. Yes. Just a good dude. Just yeah. a super nice dude. I enjoy that guy. He is going to be a fantastic watch as far as uh, as far as the show. You need to get out to a show. Watch him rock out. Just a, a animal on the guitar, Mike. Animal. Yeah. But we have important important business, me and you. Yes. We need to move on to the fastest growing segment in the world. Doc G Top Three. This is a Mike special right here. Hey. This is what Mike wanted to go over. The top three field trips of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yes. this is, of course, I'm guessing Mike didn't include any field trips that were outside of school. I don't know if you can consider just a road trip a field trip. But no. <laughs> Okay, good. I have my top three field trips. I thought about doing a couple honorable mentions, but I was like, ah, There'd be a lot of honorable mentions. So I didn't I didn't do any honorable mentions, Mike. Did you do any honorable mentions? Um There was this one time, Doc G. We okay. went to uh, like a like a nature preserve or something and uh uh-huh. it was cool. I bought uh, from the gift shop, I bought this like little kit where I could grow my own little insects or worms or something. You ever seen those? I have. That was cool. Uh, then somebody, yes. one of the chaperones on the field trip got poison ivy. That was the only memorable Ooh. experience from that uh, field trip. I don't even know. It, it is an honorable mention because it was a good trip, but that was the only you, thing I really you sparked one. You sparked one for me, Mike. You actually reminded me. Honorable mention for me, and this is uh, again. This is this is wild. This is a college field Say trip. What? Mm. So uh, when I was in undergrad, I took ecology. And in the ecology lab, we had a field trip to the Everglades, which, you know, when you're in Miami, that's not too far. It's right down the road. (laughs) Um, But this would be, it'd probably be even higher on my list. But the downside of this trip was I had a sinus infection. Mm. Uh, And so uh, the first time that we were supposed to go, I missed the actual, uh, I missed the actual trip because of the sinus infection. And then my TA that was running the lab was like, hey, your grade is going to drop a grade if you don't go to the makeup uh, trip. And I was like, but I'm still sick. And she's like, doesn't matter. And I was like, girl, come on. So (laughs) I had to, I went to the Everglades and I went with a, uh, a, um, a PhD student who was working on a dissertation on snakes. Mm. And they were actually gathering, uh, you know, data. So they were actually out there hunting for snakes, mm. uh, and it was at night. It was pretty wild. Neat. It was super, yeah, it was super fun, except I was sick and had a giant headache and had a fever, and uh, my head felt like it was going to explode. But aside from that, the environment was super cool. Yeah. So that's the honorable mention for me there, Mike. Number three on your list. Yeah, so when I was in fifth grade, I went to St. Augustine, and mm-hmm. um, that was cool. We went to the Fort's. We nice. went to the very first school in America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's and right. we also went to the bridge where, I don't know if you know about that bridge where there's two sculptures on uh, the on the entrance of the bridge and the artist like actually committed suicide because that one of them wasn't exactly right. And I apparently, I don't know if this is true, but I apparently killed himself over this difference 
in the statue. And that was actually the first time that I ever even learned about suicide. <laughs> like I never heard of that concept before. And I was like, holy crap. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that was, that was kind of an interesting one. Uh, it was hard to, I, I just recently remembered that, like just thinking of these field trip, but yeah, Man, that was pretty wild. Do you, do you think, you think somebody after he made those statues was like, Hey, don't worry about it, man. Calm down. <laughs> You're good. Ah, I don't can't worry take about it. it. Calm down. You're perfect. Nah, I can't <laughs> take it. I mean, I, I would say in that case, calm down. It's a statue, bro. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You're good. Nobody's even going to notice these statues are here. Come on. Yeah, who cares? Seriously. Anyways, Mike, my, my number three, um, mine are all big trips. These are yeah. all big time trips. Number three for me, eighth grade for band, New York. Say what? Oh, what? New yeah. York. New York. New York, New York, man. That is uh, cool. Bunch of great things on this trip. Uh, I bought a gold-plated Hotel California CD mm. from the giant Virgin Records store that used to be there and, of course, yeah. now no longer exists because who buys CDs? So Stupid. Yeah, it was an awesome store. It was like four it stories high, yeah, tall. Yeah, that place was you know? amazing. It was a good hang. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Uh, I also bought uh, on the streets, I bought a Wu-Tang ring mm. because I'm a gangster. That's right. Yeah. So I was like, of course, I'm part of the Wu-Tang group. Yes. I need to represent. So I had a Wu-Tang ring for a long time. I wore it for way too long. It was acceptable. <laughs> I was wearing that in undergrad, and people were like, who is this dumb piece of shit? Oh, <laughs> uh, Wu-Tang ring? That's right, I am! Anyways, yeah, it's a pretty awesome trip. Super Mike. heterosexual. Yeah! I also, it's fun fact, Mike. Don't judge me too hard, listeners. I also had a Superman ring that I'd wear every now and then. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty stupid. Yeah, that's cool. It's pretty stupid. No, 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 it's not cool. Nope. It's pretty stupid. It's pretty stupid, and yeah. I wore it. Yeah, no, it's very unnecessary. I wish I could wear rings. Yeah. Well, know. I'm I'm obviously not Superman, Mike. Yeah. That is obviously false advertising. And if somebody, <laughs> you know, and if somebody if somebody wanted to come up and take that ring and be like, "You're a," bitch, I'd be like, "Yep, <laughs> yeah, I am." You just took my ring. There like go. there'd be no there'd be no fighting. There'd be no like Superman reaction of going back and standing up to the bully. I'd just be like, oh. Yeah, he took my ring. See that? <laughs> that? That just happened. Anyways, Mike, that was a great field trip. Uh, very uh, good mementos from that trip. You're number two. Number two, uh, Dr. E. In second grade, I went to Epcot uh, as a field trip, and it was so sick because I was there with the two hottest girls at the oh, time yeah. of my life, Brittany Tanner, Lisa mm. Thomas, Got to eat lunch mm. together. It was awesome. Also, the trip was lit. We had Johnny Hargrove was in the was one of my friends. He was on the trip. He showed up. Uh, nice. This kid John, I can't remember his last name, but John, that was a good, was a good trip. F yeah. and John, F man. I think I think Brittany Tanner uh, was mentioned on this show before. I think that happened, oh, yeah. Mike. I think there was she, something oh, yeah. else I've that mentioned she mentioned her before. Yeah, she was. I my think first I think crush. she came up. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. First crush yeah. ever. Yeah, second second grade. That's a that's a good time for a field trip. That's a good time. Yeah, it was awesome. Mine are all old man trips, man. My number two, Orlando. 
eleventh grade. Eleventh grade for band once again. This was another band trip. Uh, now this sounds like a really lame reason of why this trip was awesome, but I took a nap. Wait, what? On a little grassy hill in Universal Studios, like in the actual uh, theme park. Yeah. And it was one of the best naps I've ever had. Wow. It was awesome. Uh, now, one of the reasons it was one of the best naps I ever had was because we drove from Virginia to Orlando overnight and then okay. immediately went to uh, Universal Studios. So, like, I did not sleep at all that whole <laughs> night before. Yeah. Right. So when I got to Universal Studios, people were like, oh, let's go here. Let's go to this. I was like, how about we take a nap? Who's up <laughs> for that? And I just laid on that grassy hill, man, and it was one amazing nap. Yeah. And I put it up there. And then we also uh, we also went to Cocoa Beach. We, we drove back up the coast. We went to Cocoa Beach, did a little skimboard, and did a little hanging out on the beach. It was nice, Mike. It was nice. Oh, how much fun. Yeah, oh, it was a great trip. It was an amazing trip. Yeah. Shout out shout out to Kathy Duncan, the greatest band director who ever lived. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Great job, Mike, Kathy. You're number two or your number one. Sorry, number one. Yeah, my number one, uh, third grade. You know, we didn't have uh I didn't go to field trips in high school. We were not a good school. They don't want to take us anywhere. They didn't want to Can't they didn't can't want take us. these people anywhere. No way. Yeah. No way. So third third grade. Uh, we went to a medieval renaissance festival. My dad was a chaperone. Oh, yeah. And it was, uh, I don't remember anything from that trip. I just remember it being awesome. Uh, and I bought this little like potion that smelled like money. And then I thought, man, if I could print some money, I could pour this little potion on it and it smells like money. Mm. And I, I'm a, I'm a business, I'm an entrepreneur at this at this time. I'll obviously I a, get yeah. more money from this thing that smells like money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just got to figure grade. out how this Thought works. <laughs> just got to think yeah. about it, man. I, I have, I, I remember, uh, by the way, this is, I guess you could put this on honorable mention. We did this little uh, short trip to uh, Roanoke, uh, Virginia, which was just, uh, you know, about yeah. half an hour away from where we were. And, um, on the trip, me and my friend Lee listened to uh, um, Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. I don't know if you know that song. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, oh. go go listen to it. You know what it is. Okay. Uh, also, the, the, a lot of people know it by the, uh, by the name Jungle Life. Anywho, we listened to that on repeat. Like literally, must have been ninety times on that field trip. It was uh, have no idea why we got sucked into that song. We were about fourteen years late for that song because it was like nineteen ninety nine when we were listening to it, and that song came out in nineteen eighty five. But we were we were psyched about that jam. Yeah, it was it made it made all the difference too. It made all the difference. But Mike, my number one. Another big time field trip. New York, 12th grade. Oh, what? Yeah. That's so sick. You got to go to New York. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. 
That was for future business leaders of America, Mike. FBLA. You know it. <laughs> and man, did I, I, I was a businessman. <laughs> oh my gosh. You don't even know. I turned 18 on this trip, Mike. Ah, oh, that's so sick. Yeah, which was pretty great because I decided, you know what? I'm going to celebrate with some Playboys and cigars. There you go. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, which were immediately confiscated by uh, the principal who was on the field trip. <laughs> but I was like, what? Oh, come on. I'm 18, man. I can have these. And he's like, it's a it's a class field trip, you moron. You can't have them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. What about the I, cigar? Come on, business leader. <laughs> I was like, oh, umbrella. Umbrella rules. I see yeah. how this works. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to that was actually not not our principal, vice principal, mm. Mr. Robertson. Shout out to Mr. Robertson. Shout out. There we go. Used to always hit you on his on your head with his giant ring he'd have. He'd turn mm. it turn it around and hit you with the, the part that stuck out. Uh. Such a such a D head move that guy. Uh, but he was a good guy. Mr. Robertson. Great That's dude. Good. Anywho, anywho, Mike. Yeah, it was an awesome, it was an awesome trip. Just a, a fantastic trip. Best friend Brandon was on the trip with us. He was there. It was very nice. Good times. Good times. New York uh, with a bunch of kids your age. Ah, oh, that would be so y- sick. Yeah, when you're 18, man. Yeah, 18. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Just I was just out there causing shenanigans. Was what yeah. was going down. There were uh, there. Trust me, bunch of shenanigans. Yeah. Although I will say I was a little bit distracted because track regions were coming up. Yeah, I know. I remember track. My regional track meet was coming up, and I was quite nervous about that. Mm. It was it was eating away in my brain. I was like, "Oh God, oh, it's coming up. It's gonna be a hard race. Oh God, it's <laughs> gonna be tough." Ow! So you know, it was it was mentally it was weighing heavily. Yeah. But regardless, super super fun trip. Super fun trip, Mike. Mike. I was thinking because we had Jared James Nichols on the show, he is a huge celebrity in uh, Europe, and we were talking about, you know, all these great shows in Europe, and I was thinking, where does Mike want to go in Europe? Say what? Mm. Mike, our next topic, top three European travel destinations. Okay. Where do you want to go in Europe? Give it to me. That's what I want. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let I'm gonna let listeners in. I think Croatia's on my list. We've talked about Croatia a couple times, and I got to be honest, it looks pretty kick. I think it's gonna be up there. I don't know if it'll be number one, but it's gonna be there. Okay. In Italy, it's got to be there. So I'm not yeah. trying to give away the list right now. I'm gonna do some research, listeners. I'll figure it out. Regardless, Mike, we have one birthday suit left. Okay. Here we go. Born on April 19th, 1987 in uh, Nyagan, Russia. Our birthday suit wearer moved to Sochi, Russia, uh, Sochi, Russia uh, because they were uh, her parents were concerned with potential effects of the Chernobyl uh, nuclear fallout, mm. which makes sense. Yeah. I'd be concerned with that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, very concerning. Yeah. Uh, our birthday suit wearer first hit a tennis ball when she was four. In just two years, uh, Martina uh, Navratilova screws this name up all the time. Navratilova. There we go. There we go. Navratilova. Boom. Nice. Nailed it, Mike. Oh. Uh, suggested <laughs> suggested she get training in the United States 
So by the age of nine, she had to move to Florida, where she enrolled at the IMG Academy. In 2002, she was number six in junior singles. In 2004, she took the tennis world by storm, winning at Wimbledon and beating Serena Williams, Mm. which at the time was absolutely unheard of. So true. By 2005... She was ranked number one in the world. In 2006, she won the U.S. Open. And in 2007, she again reached the number one ranking. However, over the next several years, she battled with multiple shoulder injuries and surgeries. In 2012, she obtained her career Grand Slam. She also won the silver medal in the Olympics. However, she was banned for 15 months in 2016 because of a positive uh, drug test for meldonium. But she returned to tennis in 2018. She retired in 2020 with five major open titles and a career record of 645 wins to 171 losses. Name that birthday suit wearer. I don't know. Sorry, Doctor. I don't know. Girl, come on. I don't know. You players. know the name. You're, you're going to know this when I say it. Yeah, I'll probably know the name. Let's see if you know initials MS. Hmm. I wanted to say Martina, but like yeah. I, you already said Martina, and like that's, yeah, I just, no. I don't know. I'm not going to waste anybody's time. Maria Sharapova. Uh, Maria Sharapova. Yeah, I know that name, but I still you, wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> you knew that name. You knew yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Dang, dang. Yeah, turning... Uh, what is she turning? 30, uh, 36. 36 hey. for Maria Sharapova. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, an absolute crusher on the tennis court, Mike. Mike, not not good. Not good. 26 out of 45. You were one for three today. <laughs> you were one for three today. 26 out of 45. It's all right. Um, top Google question related to uh, Maria Sharapova, Mike. Um, who is the husband? Of Maria Sharapova, hmm. that was that was, but I I was a more of a fan of the fourth question down, Mike. The fourth question down was, what is something disarming about Maria Sharapova? <laughs> it's like what? Huh? There are a lot of people sitting around like I need to know something disarming right now, pronto about Maria Sharapova. She is too robotic. There needs to be something that. That makes me feel good about her. Anyways, happy birthday to Maria Sharapova. Mike, we have some fantastic shows coming up. We have two great guests coming up. Next week, we have the fantastic band Sunroom. Woohoo! Straight from Southern California coming on the show. Can't wait to talk to these guys. And then after that, we are going to have the fantastic interview that I did with none other than Barry from Shine Down. It's going to be fantastic. Can't wait for both of those. Um, but Mike, we need to wrap it up. I have been mm-hmm. your host, Doc G, with me as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus, the Furnicus, Charette. Always a pleasure, Doc G. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, good time. Till next next week. Zip it up and zip it out. Zip it a doo